Greetings. Blessings. Before we get into the proceedings, I say a prayer. I mean, you could do it amongst yourself. Say a prayer for all the families, victims, victors of of this pandemic. People or family members that you know that have been affected by it. People that have recently passed away from natural causes. And say a prayer for yourself to make it through this. And Happy New Year. Curtis Metcalf here. Fresh My Fresh Podcast. Episode 9. Last left. We're going to talk about sampling. Ultimate breaks and beats. To taking stuff off of YouTube. That was the last subject we covered. And we're going to spend some time in that. Through... um paying tribute to one Daniel Dumoulin, known to the world at large as uh, MF Doom, the supervillain of rap, Victor Vaughn, King Ghidorah, and I'm saying all these names, all his aliases, like they're supposed to be. I don't understand how people, some people who did interviews with them in the past and did like, you know, mock documentaries or little reports on Hip Hop DX. You know, you know who I'm talking about. How they pronounce the name from, especially King Ghidorah. I'd have heard King Ghidorah. It's like, come on, man, say the name. He says the name. There's vocal samples on the album that says the name of the character. And I say that, and I do it like this because, like, you don't catch, you would, you would raise whole, all out hell with somebody disrespecting Biggie like that, disrespecting Tupac like that. And just like those two legends right there, I'm putting Doom up there with them as, as important to the art form as they were for having the corporate interests at heart. And I'll explain, I'll explain that. Like, I have a theory about people wearing uniforms. I think Biggie created a uniform, like, through his efforts. He created a uniform through his music and, you know, the way that he rapped the way that he appeared. And there's so much you could take from that. Like, people have did, like, unfair comparisons of Biggie and Tupac by saying, like, you know, Biggie used this many words in his bars per song, and that made him better than Tupac. I think, you know, people who do that miss the message of their music all together, you know? In the same way that the artists 
that we sampled from didn't just they didn't think why they was making their music. They was they was trying to make money, first of all. They didn't think that sampling would be a thing or even, you know, it had that idea like years later their music would come back in another form. The same can be said for Tupac and Biggie, meaning their styles got appropriated and made into something different. Something that was probably not aligned with their purpose and all that. Doom embodied everything that a rapper or MC with mainstream potential wanted to do. Doom was free. Doom had creative freedom. Like, he's the archetypical figure to have been in a group that was on a major label, garnered that attention to get signed, and then was later dropped because they didn't sell enough units or been to a burgeoning trend at that time. Um, Daniel Dumoulay is from London, England. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I said that. I think I did that wrong. Matter of fact, hold on. Let me get, let me get that right. But, uh, Doom, Dumoulay and Doom, he got the name Doom. Here's how it, Here's how he got that name. He ain't just like, you know, he grew up reading reading the Marvel comics and, you know, he was a big fan of well, the villains. He said he root for the bad guy. But Doom is also a player on his childhood nickname. Like, you know, people have impediments with saying your name. And so his last name is Dumoulay, not Dumile or Dumilly. It's Dumoulay. He says it on his songs. Y'all gotta listen. If y'all real fans, y'all get y'all get that. Just like my government, Dumoulay. Yeah, that's why that's why he said certain. That's why he said that. Um, he got the name from his childhood. It's a nickname. It ran with his friends around and called him Doom. You know, you had play playing football, playing basketball, or you know, getting into mischief or something like that. And it's a preferred it's a preferred alias that he would use later. You know, uh, his his folks parents moved to did they move to Brooklyn? I think they moved to Brooklyn like in the seventies and stuff. And while they was running around, that guy you know caught into the environment and I think uh he was a they came across the nation of gods and earths and went on through life with that as as teenagers who were talented they got with with him and his brother Sud Rock they got into the music. That was something that they was interested in and loved and did it to the fullest to where they formed a group. And this group was formed like early 80s. Probably like the mid-80s, they ran into like somebody like 
MC Search and Pete Nice where they was doing their thing through the music turns. And years later, they get signed to uh, Def Jam. Search returns a favor, puts Doom on. And the first thing you hear from Doom, he wasn't doomed then, he was Zeph Love X. And they had this song called The Gas Face, which was a big one, which was a big joint. It was major. That was the first, that was the first step. A video got made for it. And you know the diss, they diss uh, MC Hammer on there. And it was actually Doom who came up with the whole, you know, the whole song title concept and all that, actually. So he was already set of his signature on things even before it even fully blossomed and everything. But this led to KMD getting uh, a record deal, getting a record deal, like, like Search... I know a lot of people don't like MC Search for the stuff he did. There's like stories abound that Search went behind folks' backs and made deals and stuff. And he's credited with actually discovering and signing Nas. That's a whole nother story that I put people up on. But Search did some good things. And one good thing you can say is that he paved the way and opened the door for somebody like MF Doom to shine. Yes, Doom is, uh, his birthday is coming up. Wow. His birthday is, uh, June 9th. My birthday is January 11th. And, um, yeah, he was born, born in London. So I, I did get that right. I thought, you know, long line of people from, uh, from London that came here. Slick Rick was one and uh and uh I was just watching this uh interview with Benji B that he was doing that Doom was doing and he said that Slick Rick was one of uh his a favorite of his influenced him real early as far as rapping, and he caught on to the whole style of Slick Rick telling a story, but the record was pretty much a party record, you know, uh, stuff like Children's Story, The Ruler's Back, Hey Young World, things, you know, things of that, things of that nature. That blended in to, like, with the stuff that Doom would do later in his, uh, in his, in the MF Doom era, you know, um, so along comes the 90s, and um, Doom and his brother and other band member Onyx would get a chance to record, to cut their first album, and they did it with some style. Now, me personally, I haven't heard the entirety of the Mr. Hood album and stuff. That's one of those albums that's like slid by. Either it blew by or we didn't get it at all. It was kind of like the UMC's album or Main Sources album, which in about four more minutes. If y'all on the if y'all on the East Coast, you already it's already midnight 
over where y'all at. Just to break off from this for a minute. Uh, main sources, main source, Breaking Adams album. January 4th, 1991. It's the official release date for that album. Shout out to Dart Adams for that one. I caught that one on his uh, Instagram today. He put in, he put in the work, the necessary data. He went and found, uh, he went and found the print ads. He went and found the, uh, the, uh, billboard, the billboard chart where looking, looking at the front door was on there. And then they found the ad for where Wild Pitch puts it in there for, um, for the Breaking Adams album. And it actually had the release date of January 3rd. That was a Thursday. January 4th was a Friday. Also, heads up, um, EPMD's Business as Usual, it was released January 11th, 1991. I know because I was 13. Yeah, I was 13 years old. I was 13 years old when that album dropped. But back to Doom and KMD... Uh, it would actually be a mystery later on about who Doom was, and it starts right here on the on on the Mister Hood on the Mister Hood album, and you had Peach Fuzz being one of the main singles. I remember Peach Fuzz. I remember Peach Fuzz very well, vividly. And these dudes like the I didn't even know it was KMD. <coughs> Excuse me. Did not know it was KMD, and this adds to what Doom would get across in his music. When you first encounter someone's songs and everything, and if it gets played, picked up and played rapidly or played enough, this has affected me with everybody I've ever listened to especially growing up in the 80s, even in the 90s. You heard me say before that some uh, some songs I recall and remember and just happen to record, but sometimes the DJ would not give the song, the artist, or the song title. So I go ahead, hang it on to the tape for years and years, and then, you know, some stuff gets lost, you forget about it. Other music starts happening and everything. Boom. KMD was one of those. Like, if you didn't, if you, if you just didn't keep up with the music or just go out and was a connoisseur of music and, and buy it, then you would, you would miss it. You would miss out or whatnot. Um, but Mr. Hood was one of those albums that has like years after become become an important album because of the artist that was on it. Like they did a whole lot of uh especially during this time, nineteen ninety one, it was a sampling masterpiece. They had concepts on that. They did a song with a brand newbian called uh The Nitty Gritty. They was on a they was on Electra too and got a song with them even without Grand Pooba. If people know about that, people if people know about Brand Nubian the One for All album, Grand Pooba was on there, but then like after that, he kinda like distanced himself. He separated himself from Brand Nubian and stuff. 
both, all of them was on the same label, but you know, um, who else would be on Electra? Come on, Electra, uh, Dell. This was all a bit restructuring. Um, Dante Ross would be executive producing these albums, and uh, KMD was right there. Mr. Hood was a seminal album. I haven't had a chance to like really listen to a whole bunch of songs off the Mr. Hood album, like, you know, hunting down the cassette, almost impossible, haven't seen it on wax or anything, but the people, people who have this album cherish it and even cherish it even more seven and eight years down the line when, you know, um, when Doom comes into play. All right, the first album didn't do well. But you have some memorable cuts off of that. You had Nitty Gritty with Brand Nubian. You had Peach Fudge. You had Gas Face Refill. Just to let people know that these are the same folks. At the, at the same year, in the same year, uh, Third Bass drops the Derelicts of Dialect album. And they feature KMD once again on like uh, a part two of the Gas Face called Ace in the Hole. Which was another which was another dope one. They take a shot at Vanilla Ice, call it Vanilla Wafer on there. Just to tell you how current the the uh what the topics and stuff was at the time, you know. There was kinda like I wanna say anti establishment, but all this feeds into what would make what would make the facade of doom. You know? Um so after this you have the years of 92 and 93, and uh, KMD is, they're not recording the album, but they're recording the album, you know. Uh, this is when the mythical Black Bastards drops. And Black Bastards signaled uh, a change in the um, tone that KMD was going under like the first one was fun. The first album was fun. In in Doom's word, the first album was fun. They was 18, 19 years old and they was making happy music. And they was making like, you know, the type of music that a youngster, a youngster, a younger dope would make at that time. It was a whole lot of it was a whole lot of hypeness, stuff you could dance to, pure hip hop. This Black Bastards album was going on a different swing. It was on a tribe called Quest Swing. Like they go try called Quest from People's Instinctive Travels to the Low End Theory. Low End Theory was serious business. Low End Theory just meant what it meant, the low end, the bass. And with the bass, with a lot of bass, it comes, it comes to like dark music. People need to keep that in mind whenever you listen to like uh, trap music. There's a lot of dark chords in the production and stuff. And so there was some dark, it was some dark stuff on low end theory, especially with the subject matter. You hear them talk about, you know, you hear t what they talk about on rap promoter and show business. Um, Verses from the abstract. It's one that I'm missing. It ain't butter. Uh, the infamous date rape. Everything is fair. Stuff like that, you know, stuff like that. They wasn't talking like no, like, you know, light, lighthearted. It was real heavy handed. And so KMD went in that same direction with them 
being, you know, self-producing, making their, own, making their own tracks and stuff. And, you know, you start off with the Garbage Day joint, then you go into, like, What a Nigga Know. And this sets it up. This sets up everything of what makes MF Doom tick, especially on these beats. You got loops on there. You got the loops that kind of like, you know, all the grandfather style of production to what's going on to what, like, uh, Derringer and Harry Fraud are doing today. You know, it's kind of like cleaning up the day, but back then it was just like real dirty and stuff. It was real dirty. It was still jumpy because, like, uh, other songs like Sweet Premium Wine, um, Plum Skins. Plum Skins was like the first single that's supposed to have came off of there. And. They had a lot of great reviews coming off of the album. Like this, this album started. It's almost like it's a piece of the uh of the production manual playbook that Doom was go would go by by the time um by the time um Operation Doomsday would drop. And if you notice, there was a lot of rough demo quality type stuff that was kind of like partially refined due to due to the way it was recorded and mixed what record what mic he was recording on and stuff like that a lot of the uh a lot of the low budget technique was in operation doomsday and it shared a kinship with black bastards and black bastards like black bastards were my favorite when i when I heard it, I'm one of the people, one of the many people that heard it after um, when Doom got on Subverse music. I know I'm jumping around and everything, but I'm I'm collecting, I'm collecting as I go, just to drop here and a little drop there. But Black Bassett should have been the triumph that um that would put. Kim D up into that limelight up there with like the hip hop music environment of that time. You had Souls of Mischief, you had Black Moon, J. Rude the Damager, uh Sophia, you had uh you had Snoop and Dre with the Death Row thing, but they would have been up there. Who that who else was out there like that? Y'all so stupid. Y'all so stupid would later become a couple of the guys out of that group would become mass influence. And everybody goes and drops uh records on they on their own label, on their own label, independent. And the records kinda like take off. Uh, but KMD was different. Coming back down to like say, Gimme Here, this other songs, yeah, smoking that shit, contact blitz, constipated monkey. They was getting off a lot on onto 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 the production. And like I say, it was kinda like a tribe called Quest. It was definitely a native tongue, Nubian beat style of of beats. And the rhymes was even more wicked. It was more loose. Salt Rock was killing it. Salt Rock was killing it on songs. I go back and listen to Black Bastards. I played Black Bastards every day at one point. Once it was produced for mass consumption on C D. It's a tale to go along, to go along with um, Black Bastards because promo cassettes were made. 
somebody still has the promo cassettes. It may have been a hundred, two hundred, just to get about, just to give out to people to garner a buzz for the album. Here's where the trouble comes in at, though. One reviewer got a copy, got an advanced copy with the artwork, and Cam D's uh, mascot character logo was a was a sambo, was a sambo head, and and you know how you put the no smoking sign up there? It had a, it had the bar crossed over the over the uh, face of the sambo. All right. That was that and the artwork. The artwork, if y'all are familiar with the game Hangman, it's a game we used to take a loose leaf of paper. We have a word in our head. Let's say it's, let's say I'm the one that's drawn that's that has the word in their head. You got to guess. You got to guess what the word is in my in my head, and depending on how many letters you got, you got that many chances, that many blank spaces, depending on how many letters I have in that word. So you get to guess. You make a wrong guess. That's a body part on the hangman. The hangman. I draw. I draw like a. Uh, what you do? You have a. Uh, you have the pole that the noose is hung on. Hope y'all know where I'm going with this. You had the pole where the noose is hung on, and then, you know, it starts with the head. You get the first one wrong, then it starts with the neck. You draw a stick figure, basically. You draw a stick figure, basically. And there's only so much you can draw onto the stick, man, before the game is over. So, the name of the album being Black Bastards, they left all the consonants in on the album cover, and instead, you know, left the vowels out so a it was all a it was a so it's black bastards they left all the a's out in black bastards so a majority of the sambo character was already up there if you put the a in there that's the uh i think the one of the eyes was crossed out yeah one of the eyes was crossed out it was pretty advanced the way they did it because you have to draw the, the whole sambo character um one eye was crossed out while the other one was still there. So if you put the A there, that's the end of the game. And this being 1994, Time Warner had just become a company. Like it merged, like Warner Brothers merged with with uh with Ted, Ted Turner and Time Life, and they had Time Warner. Big. Big company, big old, big old company own a whole bunch of stuff. They own DC Comics. Um, you already had controversy surrounding the two live crew with the whole no censorship, free speech from what they had to go through. They had to stand in front of the Supreme Court. So when they won that case, that's when everybody... Just about every rapper LP had to have like a parental advisory sticker on on the album covers. Things escalated with the free speech thing because you had a uh, body count, which was a uh, which was a metal group that Ice T is a part of. They had a song called Cop Killer with the Rodney King 
thing going on, the LAPD, Rampart Division, and them being acquitted of beating Rodney King, that's what sparked the Los Angeles riots in 1992. Um, Time Warner put the pressure on body count, ice tea leaves. He also, he was assigned to Sire Records, which, which was also owned by Warner. And so he just left the label and went to like Priority Records. He had an album to come out to during that time called Home Invasion. And once again, another thing with the cover, but you get the idea. Home Invasion depicted a white kid on the cover, listening to probably a, a rap album, probably an IC album. And him having like the autobiography of Malcolm X sitting next to him and his room is full of uh, memorabilia about black culture, pretty much. So Warner, Warner Brothers then wanted to put it out in the store. They gave him the album, the masters and all that. He went to priority and they put the album out like he wanted to. Coming into 1994, you have a person that's really offended by the cover and by the reviewer not knowing that KMD is a black hip-hop group, uh, it didn't sit well with them. They was like saying, how, 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 does a couple, how does a record label even release something like this? It's, it's hatred, it's racist, controversial. Electra buckles under the pressure, says, we don't need this trouble. We wanted this, guys, but, you know, we got to do what the money dictates to us. And here's your album. Gave, gave, gave Doom the Masters and the $10,000. At the same time, the independent scene... It wasn't suited for that. Like you didn't have a in the you didn't have a raucous records yet. You had people still putting out joints on white labels and getting it all together, getting all their inf their entertainment franchises together. So it hadn't hit yet, but it was about to be. But at the same time, it the best spot for for somebody to be at at that time was. Sort of, kind of, I'm going to say, it was with a label. You had your advancer, but it's still at the same time. You had to battle. You had to battle the establishment as far as, like, what you signed for. Long story short, they gave Doom the Masters and the $10,000. So he had that. At the same time. That doesn't make everything good. You're probably experiencing the first stage of depression. So, Rock, uh, trying to cross the uh, uh, speeding highway, I think it was the Cross Bronx Expressway, he gets hit by a car. They never find the person who hit So Rock. So Rock is like, he died in the hospital. This sends his brother Doom into a grave depression. And it's like Black Basses is a done deal. It's like a lost album.
a whole story is about. A whole story was brought about it in the source at the time, too. So, once again, this sets the stage. Like, after that, you didn't hear from Zev Love X anymore. KMD was in a group. Let's say along with that, the leaders of the new school during this time had broke up as a group. Electra went on to restructuring. They come back in 1996. Electra comes back in 1996 with Busta Rhymes, uh, The Coming. And in 97 with uh, Missy, Misdemeanor Elliot, Super Duper Fly. Just to give you a picture of where the record label went. At the same time, Doom reemerges. Yeah, I, you know the story about him sleeping on benches in parks, sleeping on the street. He was homeless, sleeping at friends' cribs and stuff. Doing the same time, you know, becoming, becoming like, you know, an alcoholic, if you weren't already. And next thing you know, these records start dropping out of nowhere. Records like, hey, there's a record in New York with a dude rapping over parts of the Scooby-Doo theme song and stuff. Like, yeah, really ripping it, too. And it's getting played like on a uh, 89.9 FM in New York City. The Stretch, the Stretch Armstrong Show with Bobito. Bobito Garcia was uh, working as an intern at Def Jam back then. One of the most famous things he did back then was telling telling staff at, uh, at Def Jam that no, I wouldn't buy LL Cool J's walking with a panther. This album's whack. What's all these love songs? This is not going to hit. Well, do you know he was right? Because LL ends up making a comeback after that. But don't call it a comeback. And during this time, um, Doom was recording over uh, wherever he can record at. He took this not being seen and all about the art to the highest degree coupled that with the disdain he had for the record industry it should be about the art it shouldn't be about your image so he takes on the moniker and the disposition of uh, Victor Von Doom from the Marvel Comics Dr. Doom you know the whole thing about uh Doom and Reed Richards. Reed, Reed wanted to correct Doom. Doom was doing what he thought he was right in this process to get this formula. The experiment blew up in Doom's face after Reed was telling him he should check those calculations. It's documented on the um. Uh, it's documented on the um in the audio on um. On the uh, Operation Doomsday album, the skit before uh, Go With The Flow. So, in all that, the explosion cruelly disfigured Dr. Doom's face. And so he hides it with a mask and vows for revenge on Reed. So, this Doom, our Doom, MF Doom, goes at the industry the same way that Victor Von Doom goes at goes at Reed Richards. 
So he goes it in, in the nice, the most nicest, the most sharply executed way ever and drops not like a series. He drops these little doses. I say little doses because every 12 inch single was a dose. He dropped it on wax. It wasn't nothing else to put stuff on back then. Like this is during when Nas and Biggie and Woo is had, has the attention of New York City. And Doom is it's funny because Doom is almost right there behind the Wu-Tang Clan as far as like lining up the underground streets like that. So with Hay being the first one and the one that sticks, there was another single I remember. Like it was almost like June or July 97. I think that's when uh that's when Dead Bent, Dead Bent in the Gas Draws 12 inch dropped. And people was going, yeah, people was going over like, yo, this dude's crazy. Whoever this dude is, man. Like, whoever this dude doing, dude is crazy. He dropping joints, and these joints is fire. Like, dude, sample Steely Dan. Like, <laughs> all of this ass to the mythos of just going against the grain, doing everything you're not supposed to do. Generally doing stuff you're not supposed to do and help out, like, make beats with loops. Or sampling certain people. It would be another two years. Because we at 1997 right now. It would be another two years. Like okay. People. People who are picking up the albums. They are talking about it. Uh, certain. Certain trade magazines. Are talking about the records. How these records are fun. Who is this guy. You know what I'm saying. Barbito got something on his hands. Right here at the Farmerland label. Um. Doom was breaking all the conventional rules as far as the style of beats. He sampling. It's still the whole KMD concept is still intact as far as like sampling. As far as like sampling, like dialogue. He has a real uh, Wu-Tang and De La Soul combined with it, if you really think about it. I often compare it. I often compare the style of Operation Doomsday with that other style of Ghostface Killer's Supreme Clientele. No coincidence that they would link up and do songs together. And then it was like, you know, maybe the Doomstarts album would come out one day. Remains to be seen. The way that the Iron Man, the old Iron Man cartoon from the sixties, it's interspersed in between in in between stuff on Supreme Clientele is exactly to me is exactly the same way. By my ear, is exactly the same way that Doom did on Operation Doomsday. He took he took pieces of the uh, Fantastic Four cartoon from the sixties that used uh that Hanna Barbera produced and animated, and they used the. Uh, all the character designs, all the characters were designed from uh, the figures that Jack Kirby, Jack King Kirby used. He's he's the uh, second guy at Marvel Comics to create the characters we all know and love, like the characters from the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, the X-Men, the Incredible Hulk, uh, Human Torch, Namor, the Submariner, all those characters you know, from the early, from the early, like, 1962, like, 61, 62, that era right there, the superhero comics, 
that's what all that that's where all that came from that's where all that came from and then like later on in life they got to be they got to have animated series like fantastic four they used to show the fantastic four uh on um cartoon network i remember when i started getting cartoon when we started getting the cartoon network down here in mobile it was like around 94 and they had the saturday night thing it wasn't tsunami yet that's how far back <laughs> there was no tsunami there was no adult swim yet but they were showing these things like they were showed like they would be still be showing the old Hannibal Barra cartoons and stuff. It hadn't, you know, Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo hadn't came down yet, and Powerpuff Girls hadn't came down yet, and, and Samurai Jack hadn't came down yet because you hadn't had the water cartoon show yet. That's a whole other story, though. Just getting it with Doom. Doom is sampling uh, dialogue and piecing it together. And he's piecing it together. There is no, there were no DVD players. There was no VHS, you know. Um, he was getting it off the TV, which, as RZA explained with his production, that that was hard. That was the hardest thing to do. Um, getting the VCR with the uh, with the audio jack, and then you had to uh, plug it into the studio to a monitor at the studio, and then you sample off that. I have done it. I have sampled off uh video game, VHS, um DVD player. If you ain't got the course, you screwed. <laughs> That's what I say about that. So Doom sampled stuff and made beats and made his songs from the Baron Essentials. He borrowed records. The stuff you hear all this the stuff you hear, it was all left to to his mind and what he could do with it. Operation Doomsday as an album is a is a walking is a walking lawsuit. There's certain things on Doomsday that shouldn't have been sampled by by law, really, you know what I'm saying? Um let's start with the Fantastic Four cartoon. There's that. I think Hannah Barbera still owns the rights to the cartoon but not the characters. Uh, which is probably a reason why you don't see it on uh, on any time Warner Network, you know, Cartoon Network or anything like that. Uh, the records that were sampled. Doom sampled everything from Steely Dan, D Felice Trill. Let's let's get the high let's get the high price ones out the way. Uh for the finest. That's that's the SOS band. That's flight time productions. You will automatically get sued for that one. Uh A for um for Doomsday. He sampled Sharday and put it on top of um and put it on top of uh Boogie Down Productions poetry. He sampled the Detroit Spinners and Coogee Rap for um Go with the Flow. He sampled uh he sampled James Ingram and Quincy Jones. Uh, 100 ways for uh, rhymes like dimes. Craziness. Stuff that you didn't think it would work, it worked. He sampled D. Felice Trail for something like that. Um, what else? You see, you sell for Latif? He sampled the Beatles. Him and Doom. He sampled the Beatles for Tick Tick. One of the weirdest, one of the weirdest beats ever. The drums weren't. 
I don't think the drums were quantized on that album. And he continues that. He continues that like he like refined it with like uh King with the King Ghidorah album, the Take Me to Your Leader. Oh man. Yeah, he sampled a whole lot of stuff and it's like it was like flawless. You he drew you into that world. Dune drew you into that world where Operation Doomsday. It's probably some people that's like, that's not their favorite album. I don't go back to it often, but when I do, I listen to it all the way. And I can see why Mad Lib wanted to hook up with, uh, with Doom. Right around 2000, 2001 in the Elemental Magazine, uh, Mad Lib is interviewed. They talked to him about the loop pack, the star, the stone stroke stuff he did, um, Quasimodo, yesterday's new quintet. And in the in middle of the interview, he said, like, you know, they asked him what, what artists he wants to work with soon, and it's like, Doom. I want to work with Doom. I heard that whole Operation Doom, so I love that Doom's that I know he could do something with the beats, with the beats I make for him and stuff. It'll, it'll be fantastic and stuff. And that was like a dream match already set up. Little do folks know that, you know, before they even wanted that album and and Doom was already working on something else. Doom had already quietly broke through to the mainstream with Operation Doomsday. Like I said, critics all around gave good reviews on that Doomsday album, you know. He was going against the grain of what was going on. In mainstream rap, you know what I'm saying? Maybe your favorite rapper was falling off. Doom was there and pretty much made a whole new audience right there. Like, bro, too, like, he was getting good reviews in Spin and Rolling Stone. Like, places places you didn't think that the record or the album would get good reviews or even reach. Um, I got to give a shout out to uh, the lady from Cali that I know, Wallasia. She was she was the one, if not just the one figurehead that um got the whole ball rolling on mad villain. So all of the all of the um early versions and the early stages of the song, like Figaro, uh All Caps, stuff like that. All those early versions that got leaked. For all you people who was on Turntable Lab and everywhere else, OK Player Message Boards or something like that, that um, that was lurking and somehow some mad villain stuff got dropped in your hands during, during that magical time. During that magical time of like 2002, 2003, you know, you had the Jay the Dilla and the Mad Lib uh, uh, champion sound. Leaks going on too. It was a whole lot of stuff that was bubbling through the underground, and people was keeping, people was all uh, passing that word around. You know, like social media, MySpace wasn't even around yet. I don't think. They was they was having that going down. Wallacea was partially responsible for that because she she was the one that linked Mad Lib with Doom, was taking Doom to the sessions, putting together beats putting together beat CDs for him to uh, rap to. Her story 
hasn't been told, has been skipped over, and she's been relegated to the background, even cheated out of, out of, out of the proper production coordinator credit. Read y'all credits. Read your credits on the, uh, Matt, on the Mad Villain album. You'll see her name. You'll see her name. Matter of fact, if you see her name, um, I don't have my copy of Mad Villain in here. It's in the car, actually. Uh, if you see her name, Miranda Jane, or if you follow her on Twitter, at, at Wallasia. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, I could just show you the tweets that she told me, because I asked. Look for the name Miranda Jane. That's Wallasia. She's the one that actually got the mad villain thing to be a real thing. Not not Egon, not Peanut Butter Wolf. Just saying. But mad villain is like relegated to like a classic status now. Like the man's gone. And that was a magical moment. That was a magical moment in time. I picked it up like it wasn't that like it's a, it's another dope another dope album. I'ma enjoy. You know? All the fanatic all the fanaticism about Mad Lil producing the whole album on a on a uh, SP three oh three and Doom had a SP three oh three. The uh what other albums he had out at the time? King Gator, the special herb series. It's only fitting that the special herbs were in on parts nine and zero and the last beat on on the part zero was Peach Fuzz. Just like whoa. Didn't even know. Didn't even know he had that. So along with Black Bastards being out, you had the uh the Um Food, which is another masterpiece. It dropped on Rhyme Sayers like after, like months after um, Mad Villain. Then you come into 2005 and um, The Mouse and the Mask for Adult Swim comes out on Epitaph. And that was like a cool one. That's what like a cool one, you know. He, he, he got to play around with the characters on uh, the Adult Swim shows. And he even, he even dissed the Monster Island Zars. I forgot about that Monster Island Zars album. But he made them boys get at him. He called them midgets in the crunk. And that's why uh, MF Grimm, his co for I forgot a whole lot of stuff, but I'm just like, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. I might have to do another part to this, too, on doing as much as I can, seeing as I have, like, 11 minutes left from a Southerner's perspective. Doom was one of the wildest. Like, Doom was on the level like oh, how old Dirty Bastard was. Old Dirty Bastard in his prime. Like, from, I'll say from 95, and like, Return of the 36 Chambers to Nigga Please. He could still rap. You wish he did it on some more suitable production. Doom... Doom, on the other hand, just kept going. He kept doing it for the art. Everything had to be better than the last he did it. 
he left some behind for people to listen to. And it wasn't like he wasn't listened to because he was like in the mainstream, but wasn't in the mainstream, if you did what I'm saying. Uh, his albums didn't sell a whole bunch. Like Mad Lib, I mean, the Mad Villain album sold like a record. It set a record at Stone Store. I think it sold like maybe 60,000, 70,000 at the time. And then at the same time, Mad Lib went behind that and made the uh, Quasimodo, Further Adventures of Quasimodo album. But I think, like, Mad Villain did numbers. Mad Villain did big numbers for, like, an indie. Like, 60,000. And plus, they had promotion behind it. There was Moon Food. There was, um... Oh, yeah, now, let, let me not leave out the Victor Vaughn's... The Victor Vaughn albums, uh... The first Victor Vaughn, and then there's Victor Vaughn 2, Venomous Villain. And then after all that, you have the best of KMD stuff comes out. What a timely fashion all that comes out in. Uh, Operation Doomsday gets picked up by another one like Subverse. Subverse did one with another cover. And, oh yeah, speaking of the cover, I just found out the other day that the cover for Doom drew the cover himself for Operation Doomsday, what he did, he took a scene from one of the, he paused the the, the uh, episode he was watching, and there's, that, there's a part where Doom is speaking with a mic to the public or whatever. And he froze it on that image and took like a sheet of paper and just traced and just traced what was on the screen and took that and made that the album cover. Now, that's crazy. That's wild. But that shows you, like, if you want to get it done, you're going to get it done. I think I'm going to end this here, and I'm going to take a shot. Take a shot for doing What he said, what he said on rhymes like that, nasty like that old time, nasty like the old time, old number seven, he was talking about Jack Daniels. I'm drinking Gentleman Jack. So I'm going to take the shot for him. And we gonna keep rocking on the Doom. Been playing Doom this long. Gonna play most more of his albums. Uh, catching up on his, on the other stuff, the JJ Doom stuff, the Zarface, or coat him with a uh, Danger Mouse, and just listen to it. Play it again, Sam. Play it again, Sam. Like Doom affecting. Doom, Doom passing affected me like how Sean Price passed, like how Prodigy passed, like how Guru passed. We won't ever get to hear no ill, brilliant stuff from them again, so it's on us. If you're a fan, if you're really a fan on this, you'll, you'll, you'll take your time and purify your craft. And just refine it. Because the stuff, the dope stuff you do now, nobody else will ever do. Doom was an inspiration to many. Outside of the culture. I mean, when, uh, what's that? 
what's the uh, 69 dude, uh, Daniel Hernandez, gets caught and has to go on trial. What's the first thing people put on? Rap snitches, telling on their business. Going to court, they be their own star witness. That song gets played in the, in the part where uh, Most Deaf says it. Just play the Most Deaf video after that. And that's like every Doom fan right there. He feels Doom raps as weird as I feel. Salute the Doom. Also, off the record, shout out to the homie Zoo Vega. It's been two years since he dropped Baba Yaga. He dropped it on December 31st of uh, 2019, coming into 2020, and now we into 2021. We go up from here, y'all. Um, there's somebody else I want to thank. A chick with beats. Rudy P, we was talking about it. We was talking about it earlier. We was talking about some things earlier. And he wanted something to listen to in the morning while he's at work. And I hope I did a good job of it. If not, we'll just do it over. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, but Doom, even though he was a super villain, he was like my rhyming hero. And I listen to everything he has. I ain't got to like everything that he did. And there's a lot of people that said, yo, I don't even like doing like that. But what he did for hip-hop is compassionate and can't be measured and can't be topped. That dude kept it going. Like, really. Like, it didn't, it didn't matter to him. It didn't matter to him. He did things truly for the art. It wasn't about no money. It wasn't about no cash. It wasn't about dropping another record label and stuff like, you know, when you really look at it, Doom really did surpass a lot of people who had money to do things like that and say they're doing it for hip hop. Your goats, your so-called goats liked them. You see the Odd Future video. You see the Most Deaf video. Drake even posted. Oh, keep your eyes out like I, I, Captain. Man, come on, man. Please. Good night.